0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Condello. Remember when childhood games weren't played on a screen? Remember that when they didn't involve some type of controller and you actually sat around maybe a table and looked at each other and talked to each other? Remember those, like growing up and playing board games? Yeah, well, listen, before we get too sentimental about the good old days of yesteryear, I was thinking this past week about some of the games that we played, and the lessons that we learned from those games weren't always the best lessons, were they? Like, take Monopoly, for instance. What did we learn from Monopoly? Yeah, we learned how to build our empire and stay out of jail, (laughs) which maybe for Wall Street is a great thing. I don't know. Twister. I don't even want to talk about it. You know what you learned. (laughs) Sorry, what about the game of sorry? What we learned in sorry is that people are going to tell you they're sorry and not really mean it, (laughs) right? We learned sarcasm from the game of sorry. Think about the game of Clue. What did we learn from Clue? It's kind of a morbid children's game when you think about it. You either learned how to be a really good detective or how to plan a murder. That's what we learned from Clue But the one that we'll pay special attention to Especially this morning is the game of life Because it's called life And this is how your life is going to play out And so we probably should pay careful attention to this game Now do you remember this? This look And I think mostly it was popular because of this spinner But here's what we learned <laughs> from the game of life You could jump into your career right away and you'd, you'd get places quicker, but if you went to college, you'd make more money, right? So right away, they're teaching us, go to college, and then you get married, and then you're going to have kids, and the rest of your life is going to play out in remotely this manner. You're going to purchase a flat screen TV. That is really early on in this thing, right? And then... You're going to have some children and you're going to coach their sports teams and then you're going to take a cruise and then you're going to buy an SUV and then you're going to buy a foreign sports car and then you're going to buy a lakeside cabin and then you're going to get seats for the big game and you're going to go to the Hollywood premiere and you're going to then send your kids to college, which is going to cost a lot of money, and then you're going to eventually take your family to a theme park, which is going to cost $25,000. So... Disney, um, and it's all about, right, accumulating all this stuff and trying to avoid losses, and all along there's payday, and, and yes, there's, there's taxes that are due, but it's all about getting the stuff, right? Now, only in America really could we sell this game. I can't imagine what third world life would look like, honestly, right? But this is so just kind of how we live. You become a grandparent. Um, It says then you hire a maid service, which is is awesome. But the whole point is to get here, which is millionaire estates. The whole point of life is so that you can go and retire in millionaire estates. And it actually says on there that you'll get $10,000 from each one of your children. Dream on, right? I told my daughter this past week that that was the point of life. And she was like, whatever, dad, no chance to get as much as you can get, so that you can retire at millionaire estates. Is that the point of life? Not really, but why is it that we live that way? Why do we live like that's the point of life? We're continuing on in our culture shock series and we've talked about some very big significant issues and and they've raised a lot of questions. And I just want to remind you again, if you have questions, we have an email address and maybe some of the past talks have just stirred something in your heart. You don't feel like it got answered. Next week, Steve and Jennifer are going to do their best. We've gotten a lot of questions. They're going to do their best to to kind of group those together and give some great answers to some of those questions that you've had. Now, we've asked a lot of great questions because we want to know where we stand on these very difficult issues. And I think we've gotten some great wisdom from this series on things that maybe we don't personally struggle with, but we still have questions. This morning, I want to talk about something that I think we rarely question, but we all struggle with. It's an issue, I believe, for all of us because we're Americans and it's kind of our deal. And I want to talk about greed I wanna talk about greed this morning. Greed's one of those difficult things because greed hides behind very virtuous-sounding sayings. Greed always hides behind things that we think are good, like a penny saved is a penny earned. I'm a saver, and that's a good thing. It hides behind things like I plan ahead, or if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of people who are needy. And maybe it's I'm just an achiever, I'm a competitor. I'm naturally going to get more and more stuff. All I do is win, 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 no matter what, right? That's just who I am, but here's the thing. It's not exactly right, is it? Do you remember the movie Wall Street? It had a character named Gordon Gekko and he had this popular line, greed, he said, for a lack of a better word is good. A lot of people think greed is what moves our economy forward. As a matter of fact, we don't even call it greed anymore. We call it consumerism because it sounds so much better than greed. Now, listen to this definition of consumerism and tell me if you think it sounds like greed. The belief that it is good for people to spend a lot of money on goods and services. I'm just doing a public service, people. I'm stabilizing the economy. That's what I'm doing. Greed even has its own national holiday, doesn't it? Black Friday. (laughs) It's that day that we all know about where we can go out and we can get lots of stuff for really good prices. Now don't we find it just a little bit ironic that this huge push for more stuff happens the day after we've told everyone how thankful we are for everything that we have? We see the disconnect there, right? But as a culture, we are consumed with consuming. We're possessed by our possessions. And in the long run, we don't own them, they own us. And this greed, this consumerism is just in the fabric of our culture. Our society lives this way. It's our national pastime. And we don't even see it as a bad thing. We see it as a good thing. We see it actually as something we deserve. Because we know that people that have more stuff are smart. They're good at what they do. They're successful. And some would even say, well, they're very blessed. And we see that, and so we long for that. We want that. We want more and more and more, which is what greed is. The Greek root for the word greed is is the word echo. It's just that again and again and again, and yet we live beyond our means to achieve more. 20% of Americans spend more than they make every year. One in five Americans spends more than they get in. 38% of Americans carry credit card debt with an average of $5,700. And actually, it's broken down regionally. Uh, The West Coast is higher. The West Coast average is $8,000. It's not us. It's California, right? (laughs) It's not us. But but what we think is we have a standard of living that we have to attain. Now, the standard of living that we want to attain is always one step above where we currently are, isn't it? Where we want to be, it's always just that next step. If I could just get to that next step, I'm going to be great. And so my standard of living is up here. So I have to spend a little bit more to get what I need because it it makes me feel good. It makes me feel important. The uh, English author J.G. Ballard said it this way. He said, consumerism is the one thing that gives us our sense of values. Consumerism is honest and teaches us that everything good has a barcode. (laughs) That's kind of crazy, right? And yet we live into that. And the reason that we're going to talk about it is because it is in the fabric of our culture and it is something that we all wrestle with. But greed isn't a financial issue. Greed is a heart issue. And maybe you're sitting there wondering, is it really an issue in my life because greed can hide. I wanna read some statements and maybe these are true for you and if these are true, then we might have a problem with greed. If you shop because you want that feeling of shopping and not because you really need something, then maybe you have a problem with greed. If you have a plan to spend the money that you'll one day win in the lottery, (laughs) maybe you have a problem with greed. If you see someone else get something new or great or exciting, and that doesn't cause you to celebrate with them, it causes you to feel diminished, it causes you to feel jealous, then maybe you have a problem with greed. If you have no boundaries when it comes to achievements or getting stuff, like if you're willing to cut corners or cheat just a little bit, maybe you have a problem with greed. If you borrow from the future, if tomorrow suffers at the expense of today, Or maybe your friends and family always feel like they're competing with your stuff. Or maybe it's that when you see something that you really want, you don't just buy one because one is great, but two's better. And they're different colors. And three's even better than that. If you, purchase things because they make you feel good but that feeling wears off really quick and you have to get to the next thing. All of that could just be indicators that we wrestle with greed. Now we're going to look at what Jesus says about greed. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. If you have your Bibles you can turn there. If you want to grab one from the pew page 1643 is where we're going to be. And we're going to work through this story that Jesus is telling here, and we're going to pause three different times, and we're going to look at three different things to help us overcome this issue of just being consumed consumers, being possessed by our possessions. We want to overcome that. So we're going to pause and look at three different things. Now, just a little background to this story. If you see in verse 1 of Luke 12, it's just that... Just know that there's crowds gathering around. And it's a great picture that is painted here. It says thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Can you just get this picture? There's a lot of people trying to get really close to Jesus. And Jesus begins by talking to his disciples. He's telling this narrative to his disciples. And then when we get to verse 13, we have some guy in the crowd who interrupts Jesus' narrative with this this question, this statement. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Great statement. This guy comes to Jesus and he kind of interrupts the narrative and he's like, I I, I want my inheritance. I want my half of the, the estate. And so he asked Jesus for help. Now why would he ask Jesus? He calls him teacher, master, or rabbi. Now rabbis were able to decide in such matters, but Jesus wasn't really an accredited rabbi. It wasn't really his place to do that. Maybe he asked Jesus because Jesus talks a lot about money. In the book of Luke, Jesus talks a whole lot about money. One out of every seven verses in Luke is around the topic of money. Jesus tells 39 parables, 11 of those are about money. Now here's the thing, Jesus doesn't talk about money or possessions because he needs them. And I want you to understand that. Jesus does not need our money. This is not a message that's eventually going to ask you for money. Jesus talks about giving and possessions and money so much because they're at the heart of so many things that we wrestle with. They're at the heart of so many good things. It's not that Jesus is talking about money all the time and Luke at the expense of the other virtues. He's talking about money all the time because it really is kind of the foundation for so many of these other virtues. You find giving and generosity at the heart of so many of these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this. Three things will last forever, right? These are the big three. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. At the core of those things, We find giving, we find generosity, right? Do I have faith that God is going to take care of me? Is my faith in God to be my provider? Because it's going to affect the way that I give, right? My faith is reflected in my giving. Where's your hope? Is your hope in your stuff? Maybe you say, well, I hope in Jesus for salvation, but I'm gonna take care of myself financially, Or is your hope in him for everything? Because it's gonna affect the way you give. You'll give to where your hope is. Maybe it's love. Do you love other people enough to share what you have or do you love your own stuff more? Giving is at the core of so many of these things. And that's why Jesus talks about it a lot. So this guy comes to Jesus and he says, I want half of my estate. And what's Jesus' response? No. No basically. That's not my thing. Now, come on. Isn't Jesus concerned about justice? Yes, he is. But he, he basically says, who appointed me judge? Which is also an interesting statement because several times in the gospel, Jesus refers to himself as judge, but not this kind of judge. Jesus is the ultimate judge, but he's not appointed for this kind of judgment. You see, this guy wasn't coming to Jesus to surrender, This guy was coming to Jesus to get his stuff. He wasn't coming to Jesus to surrender, which is, we see that because Jesus talks about greed immediately after his question. He was coming to Jesus to get more stuff. If we come to Jesus asking for anything before we have surrendered to him our everything, then we miss the point of his mission. If we come to Jesus asking for anything before we've said, Jesus, I give you everything, then then we miss the point of why he's here. And that's the first place I, I wanna pause, I wanna stop, because one of the handles that we can hang on to to overcome this greed, to overcome this consumed with consuming is this idea of surrender. That we need to surrender to Jesus as the Lord of our lives, not just the provider of our stuff. So many people come to Jesus about stuff, about I need this, I need this. Can you take care of the situation? And that's the only time. But we need to surrender everything to him. All that we are. It means your will, your way. Because there's so much in Scripture that's not going to make sense until we do that. You see, Scripture tells us that we become great when we serve. We become rich when we become poor. We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We have freedom and new life in surrender. And those things don't really make sense until we fully surrender to Him. And yes, part of that surrender is our giving. Part of that surrender is our money. Part of that surrender is our stuff. But we are called to fully surrender to Him. Everything, hands open to Him. Now when you read this story, we don't have time to read the other parts of chapter 12. The beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is saying, look, don't worry, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. After this story that we're going to read, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about food. I'm giving you the kingdom. Surrender your lives to me. And that's what we need to do. There's an initial surrender, right? Right? There's that first time you come to Jesus and you say, I I don't understand it all, but I just, I wanna follow you. I wanna trust you. And then there's that daily surrender. Jesus, today I surrender everything I am and everything I have to you again anew. And that's gonna help us to overcome this greed. And then we see this great verse here, verse 15. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Literally in the Greek it says, you do not exist in your possessions. We do not exist in our possessions. Did this man coming think that he needed his stuff to exist? I don't know, but Jesus came to tell us that we exist somewhere outside of our possessions, but we buy into the lie that stuff equals life. And the more stuff we have, the better our life will be. And the people with more stuff are living better lives than we are living, right? We see that all the time. That's something that we want to attain. Obviously, look at everything they have. They have to be living better than I am. But this is a trap. Growing up in the church, I heard this story um, about how people in other countries catch monkeys. I don't know why you need to catch monkeys. Apparently, this is a problem in other countries. If you don't have a net or a monkey taser. I don't know what you use. Here's how the story went, right? That they would cut a, a small hole in, in a gourd or a termite mound or something like that, and they would put fruit and, or, or seeds in it, something that would attract the monkey. Now, honestly, I've always wondered about the veracity of this story, but this past week, through the wonder that is YouTube, I actually saw this happen. So this is a true story, for real, it's so great. This guy digs a hole in this termite mound, just large enough for the monkey to stick its its paw in there, right? He puts some seeds in there and then he just kind of walks away. The monkey after a while wanders over, puts its hand in and grabs these seeds. Now the hole is just big enough for the paw and once it grabs the seeds, it's stuck. As long as it's holding on to this stuff, it can't get its arm out. And this guy walks over very casually. He's got a rope, puts it around the monkey's neck, and kind of stands away. Only then did the monkey let go of the stuff and come out screaming like crazy. Trapped because it wouldn't let go of this stuff. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? Will Rogers says too many people spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't like. (laughs) It's a trap. It's a trap when we think it's all about possessions. We're going to get caught when we do that. Jesus did not break into this world to get us more stuff so that we could have a better life. Jesus broke into this world so that he could be our life. Jesus sacrificed himself not so that we could have a new something or other. He sacrificed himself so that we could have a new life. He came with an entirely different agenda. And I think the handle we need to hang on to here is this idea of contentment. And that's a tough one for us. But we don't exist in our possessions. We need to be content with what we have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness plus contentment is, is true wealth. But here's the thing. Contentment is always getting beat down by the more monster, right? Contentment is always getting beat up with this idea of you need more. It's, it's gluttony. And gluttony isn't just food, gluttony is just overconsumption of anything. The more monster is always coming around and it's trying to stomp contentment. And we hear it all the time. The the great uh, American poet, Madonna, (laughs) said this. She wrote a song several years ago. It's called More, right? Here's some of the lyrics. Got my diamonds, got my yacht, got a guy I adore. I'm so happy with what I got, I want more. Count your blessings, one, two, three. I just hate keeping score. Any number is fine with me, as long as it's more. Never say when, never stop at plenty. If it's gonna rain, let it pour. Happy with 10, happier with 20. If you like a penny, wouldn't you like many much more? Or does that sound too greedy? That's not greed, no indeedy. This is where she slips into Dr. Seuss a little bit. (laughs) That's just stocking the store. Gotta fill your cupboard. Remember, Mother Hubbard, more, more, more. Each possession you possess helps your spirits to soar. That's what's soothing about excess. Never settle for something less. Something's better than nothing, yes, but nothing's better than more, more, more. Wow. That's kind of how we live, isn't it? But we lean into that. I don't know what your retail therapy is. I read an article this past week that said, the average consumer purchases an article of clothing every five to six days. And I'm like, well, I am way below average. (laughs) Because for me, it's not clothing, it's technology. Like, I want the latest gadget. I want something new. It's not clothes for me. Maybe it's shoes for some other people. For me, I like technology. There's always something else out there that's like, wow, that is super cool. Like like this, for instance. This is a personal hovercraft. It's like a Segway, but it's a hovercraft. How cool would that be? Don't you want that? Now for the low, low price of $115,000, you can be the coolest guy in your street. Now this is cool, but you know what's cooler? This thing, it's a two-person killer whale submarine. (laughs) Is that not the coolest thing ever? Can you imagine being at a lake in Oregon? (laughs) And there's a fishing boat, right? And you just breach next to that thing in your killer whale submarine? That would be so awesome. (laughs) Guys, $90,000. It seems like a small price to pay, doesn't it? (laughs) My birthday's coming up. (laughs) Guys, there's so many cool things out there. When is enough enough, though? When do we finally get more? Someone asked Rockefeller one time, how much money is enough money? And his response was, just a little bit more. There's always gonna be something cooler out there. Are we content with what we have? A couple ways that we can do this. First, I would say this. If you have the opportunity, visit a third world country. Nothing like going to a third world country to make you feel content with what you have. I love taking students overseas. I love going to build houses in Mexico because there's always this point where our students see extreme poverty next to extreme joy. And they always say, wow, how are they so happy? They don't have anything. And then we say, wow, maybe it's because your stuff doesn't make you happy. And we need to see that in the world to understand what we have and to be content with what we have. Not looking up, but looking around at the rest of the world. Another thing that we could do is we could always be asking ourselves when we shop, is that something I need or is that something I just want? Is it a want or a need, and can I distinguish between the two? And I think something that would really help us with our contentment is figuring out how to live more simply, and I would love for us to have that conversation. I would love for you to have that conversation, maybe over lunch today, as you're sitting around with friends or family. How can we live more simply? Because contentment is going to help us overcome the power of greed. First Timothy 6, 8, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Content with what God has given us. Jesus goes on to tell the story. He says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, which I just love, he calls himself his friend. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of other friends. Maybe he's, I don't know. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This guy decides that he's going to build bigger barns. That's what he's going to do. Which, right, that's good planning. It's looking towards the future. That makes great financial sense, but there's a couple of flaws in his thinking. There's a couple of flaws in his thinking. See, he's he's saying, what am I gonna do with all this excess that I've got? It's so great, look at all that I've done to get this. See, the first flaw in his thinking is a flaw that every farmer knows. And the flaw is this, that you are at the mercy of so many different outside factors. Every farmer knows this. You can do everything right. You can plant at the right time. You can fertilize well. You can can do everything you can possibly do to your field, but the weather can come along and wreck everything, can't it? You are at the mercy of outside factors. Greedy people don't see the world this way. Greedy people say, I earned that with my hard work and my intelligence, and therefore, I am going to utilize all of that. I did it. John chapter three says, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. See, we we don't have our stuff because of our hard work, and that's a flaw in our thinking. We don't have it because we worked so hard. That's part of it. That's not all of it. And when we think that we did it, then we don't return thanks. His second flaw was this. He built a bigger barn to store all his stuff, to hoard all of his stuff, and his flaw was this. He didn't think his abundance was for anyone else but himself. He didn't think his abundance was for anyone else but himself. And so he kept it all. Now, in America, we rarely build bigger barns. We just rent them. They're called storage units. And that's what we use, right? Right right now in America, there are 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage, which means this, there's so much self-storage that every person in America at the same time could stand in a storage unit. That's how much there is. And 50% of the stuff in there, this comes from a New York Times article that was fascinating, 50% of the stuff in there is for the reason that it just won't fit in the house anymore. Houses that are 50% bigger than they were 25 years ago. The third most popular reason for storing stuff, this just made me laugh. Because these are items I no longer need or want. So I'll pay to put them someplace where I'll never see them again. Seems like wisdom. But why do we do this? Why do we stockpile resources? Here's the thing, it's, lo- it's, it's rooted in a lack of trust. It usually means that we're scared. Fear fuels greed. And it's this fear of, I won't have enough. And fear's kept alive by this phrase, what if? What if it breaks? What if it gets lost? What if I never get another one? What if the economy collapses? What if I lose my job? What if I get sick? Greed is kept alive by fear. But the real root of it is a lack of faith. The real root of it is a lack of faith. It's this idea of God can't take care of me or God won't take care of me. And so I will take care of myself. God's not gonna take care of me. And maybe we think God's not gonna take care of me at the level that I deserve to be taken care of. Like God will take care of me down here, but I, I need to take care of me up here. But it's rooted in this lack of faith. And God comes along and God says, you fool. And God doesn't use that often. But God says, that, that's foolish. What you're doing is foolish. You're planning as if the physical world was all there was. Now, yes, there is a physical world. So yes, you plan as if there is a physical world. That's fine. There's some wisdom in planning for that. But you don't plan as if the physical world was all there was because there is something more. See, instead, he should have asked, God, what do you want me to do with my abundance? And that's a question that we should all ask. God, what do you want me to do with my abundance? You see, the third way that we can tackle this issue of greed is through generosity, have you ever asked yourself, why is it that I have so much? Now, I know immediately what you're going to say is, but I don't. I don't. And, and that's what advertising tells us all the time. You don't have so much because you need the next thing. That's advertising's job. But we do have so much. If you make more than $33,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. What you earn in a month is what 147 doctors in Pakistan earn in one month. What you earn in one year, it would take a worker in Indonesia 44 years to accumulate. Salem Alliance so Church God, is a community of Jesus followers located do in downtown Salem, And we are passionate we have about it. our city being a city at peace with God.
1: You see, the answer to greed is generosity because for, it forces us to be less attached at
0: to our prayers stuff. Prayers at Salem If we consume to the point where we have nothing left to share, service we're online being greedy. At livestream.com/salemalliance. We need to learn to give to the point where it affects our lifestyle. I'm not talking about just being generous on the fringes, the little things that we can give. We need to give to the point where it affects our lifestyle because we have a world that desperately needs our generosity, both overseas and here. And we need to understand that the things that we give away have so much of a greater impact than the things we consume ourselves. The things that we give away last so much longer than the things that we consume ourselves. My youngest daughter for the past several years on her birthday has had a birthday party and she's invited a bunch of friends over. But when the invitations have gone out, she said this, I don't want you to get me any presents. I want you to make a donation to this organization overseas that helps needy children, which is fantastic. She did not get that from me. She gets that from her mother. But here's the thing. Think about, you know, you've been to those birthday parties and and all the little stuff that she could have gotten would have been great for a little bit, but she would use and lose it in a matter of months, right? She would just consume it and it would be gone. But what she did was she sent it overseas to kids who needed it to make an impact, kids who need to eat, kids who need clothes, kids who need housing, shelter. And what she gave away had far more of an impact than if she would have consumed those things. God is calling us to be a generous people because it makes a difference in this world. You see, the point of life is not us getting stuff. The point of life, verse 21, it says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We're called to surrender to God, to have this relationship with him, not store up stuff for ourselves. And so we need to generously Give away to a world that needs it to bring fame to his name. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thanks for your truth. Thanks for these stories. And I pray that you would give us the courage to look at ourselves um, just introspectively to, to figure out if we wrestle with this, if this is something that trips us up. And I pray that you would give us the courage to. To act, give us a keen vision to see need in this world, to see need in our neighborhoods, and allow us to use what you have so abundantly blessed us with to serve others, to give you glory. And Jesus, continue to call us deeper into who you are, and into a surrender. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.